0: I speak to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. I want to open this morning with a question, and I'll add a qualifier to the question before I deliver it, and that is that I'm pretty confident this question has probably been overdone in some Christian church setting and traditions, um, and as a result, unfortunately has probably lost some of its effective punch or diagnostic power. With that said, I'm also quite confident that that is not the case in our tradition in practice, and that if anything, I would suggest that we probably don't ask questions like this enough. And if we if or when we do, we might face the temptation or the inclination to move on a little too quickly. So with that said, here's the question. Assuming you believe in the theme for the day, which is primarily bound up in the return of Jesus Christ to this world a second time at some point in the future from this vantage point, Might be worth adding that in a few moments we will all stand together and say we believe this, that we believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And you can't make too many assumptions after two centuries of people trying to dismiss such a central doctrine or questioning it. But assuming we do believe this, and it's an active functioning point of doctrine in our understanding. Of God and Jesus, if you knew, you see where this is going, if you knew that his return was imminent, like tonight, how would that impact the way you choose to live the rest of your day today? What would you do differently? What would you do that you hadn't planned on doing? And what would you not do that you had planned on doing? In other words, what would you make a priority that is currently either non-existent in your life or maybe sitting on the shelf back at home waiting for a future date? And what operating functional priorities now that are taking that status might you decide to demote and delay until another day, like never. I, for one, would not, you would not find me out raking leaves this afternoon, not because it's just been raining or it's Sunday. All manner of things would be rearranged in my life, and I bet I'm not alone. The next 12 hours would look very different for the church on earth. That's a fact. I don't think that a question like this should be too far out of our consideration when we've taken upon our lips this morning to sing, in the third verse of our second hymn, to this temple where we call thee, come, O Lord of hosts, today. Now, before we start spiritualizing that and turning that into all manner of interpretations, which some could be valid, that Jesus does come to us today in the Holy Spirit in various ways, in the presence, in the Eucharist, can we not also recognize that there is a meaning in this that has a fulfillment in that day when he will, in fact, come again? And do we not, on some level, however ominous it is, look for that day and hope for that day, hoping that we also are prepared For that day. We surely, surely do. The driving force and the motivation for a question like this comes from a reading like what we've just heard this morning from Mark's Gospel. We are in the 13th chapter, at the very end of the chapter, and Jesus takes up the topic of his return. Saying that, in fact, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but only the Father knows when that day will come, but that His disciples, His people, are to be on guard and they are to keep awake. It's worth adding that this chapter, chapter 13, in its entirety, is one of the most complex chapters in all of Holy Scripture. And that's because Mark records Jesus in teaching on two monumental historical events. One, in time past, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. He begins, this chapter begins with reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. But as you move forward through the chapter... It's intertwined with the bigger event of more an eschatological purpose pointing to the end of time and his return. And all that to say, if I said anything more on that, I would confuse you and me. It's worth reading about, but these two themes are dancing together, and he's often entertaining one and then switching back to the other. And as one commentator put it, it's like trying to frame a mountain scene with two peaks, not knowing exactly where the focus is to be. But at this point in the chapter, we're at the very end of the chapter, this point onwards, it is clear as day that Jesus is referring to that eschatological event, to his return. And here... The thrust of his teaching comes through in the form of a parable where he tells of a master of a house who goes on a journey and while he's away sets his servants in charge over the household and that those same servants do not know how long this journey will last, but that they are to be prepared for him to return. As Jesus says... Be on guard, and in a word, watch. That's the summation of the teaching. That's what Jesus gives his people. I want you to be a people who are a people who watch. In another translation, it would say, stay awake. Be alert. Stay awake to all the truths and all the life that I've called you to. Don't fall asleep that. It's easy to begin asking questions such as, well, when? The when question. When is this going to happen? And all corners of Christendom have gotten caught up with that question, trying to figure out when. And it is a dead-end question. We don't know. We need to be content with that answer. We don't know when. When? And in some sense, it's not the right question. What we need to be asking is more of the what question. You see, at the beginning of this chapter, the disciples asked Jesus, when he was referring to the temple someday, that it was going to be destroyed and Jerusalem was going to come crashing down in the temporal event. And their first question to him was, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things happen? There's the when question. And Jesus is, throughout the remainder of this chapter, redirecting them. Don't be preoccupied with the when, but the what. I want you to be concerned with what you are to be doing. What will help you be ready for that day, when that day comes? That's the right question. And here again, almost in an unsatisfactory way, he just gives a word watch. Watch. And it is for us to unpack that. What does that mean, watch? What does it mean to stay awake? That's what God wants. It's on us to understand what that looks like. So, what does it look like to watch? And not fall asleep. At this point, I could come up with a whole list of disciplines and offer them and say, well, here, you could do all these things and it will keep you more alert. Such as, it's the beginning of a new year in the church year, Advent 1. What a great time to take up reading scripture more regularly. It's a lot of momentum at the beginning of the year, and if you miss today or the next four weeks in Christmas, well, you have a second chance with January 1st. You could start reading more. You could start coming to church more, more regularly. You could give yourself in some form of service more faithfully. You can come up with all these disciplines and start doing them and get busy. And then you'll be watching, or will you, I'm not convinced that you will, nor would I. None of those things in and of themselves, they're not bad, but none of those things have the power to keep you awake in and of themselves. The Christian life is not just about following disciplines. There's something else deeper, more important, that we have to dig into to stay awake, to watch here's what I think it is. After sitting with this question for some time, I think it's fairly straightforward. Kind of simple, actually. Might seem like a secret, but it's an open secret. It's the L word, love. Love is what will keep you awake. Now, why do I say that? What I don't mean by that is love for love's sake just for the sake of the virtue of love. Go out and be loving. That's not what I mean. I'm not referring to love in some abstract, disconnected way for its sake alone. But love of God. Think about it. Anything you love, anyone you love, in your life, you will stay awake for. I mean that in the simplest terms, most literally. Take up any book that you fall in love with and that you are, have a passion for reading and you cannot shut your eyes at night. Love will keep you awake. Anything that you love will keep you awake. I'm always impacted by visits to the hospital, When I enter a room where someone is in an ill condition, critical condition, and there their loved ones are, by their side, awake, alert, watching over them. I remember one room in particular, walking in and visiting a woman whom I had never met, had no context, but had come to learn in that brief meeting that for the past 10 years she had been in and out of the hospital on a steady course of decline and that there was no prospect, real prospect of this changing. But what was most amazing to me was that there next to her in the chair, not because I was showing up, but just happened to work out, was her husband, as though it were the first day for her In the hospital, watching over her, tending to her, awake for her. Come to find out he had actually taken early retirement to fill that role of watching over his beloved. He loved her. That's what will keep you awake. And what does Jesus say the most important thing is for us in terms of love? We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And the more we love God, the more awake to God we will be. Now if I left it there and just wished you well in your path of love... Well, you might feel like you're coming up short and like you don't, you still don't have what you need to go and love God. So, if that's the case, remember this God doesn't ask you to love Him without having first loved you. And by that, I don't mean that He has loved you with good feelings or that He's positively bent in your direction. But his love has taken the form of his own son, sent into our world for you, not for himself, but for you, that his love became incarnate, took on human form, lived a human life, facing the same trials that we face, and more, all the way to the point of hanging on the cross, not just by happenstance, but according to the plan of God to provide a way of salvation and reconciliation that you could draw near to him and be redeemed. God's love is an initiating love, always taking the first step. In actual fact, always taking Ten, a hundred steps before we even think about taking a first step back. He loves you first. And out of a recognition and a memory and an awareness of that love, then you can begin to awaken love in response. And the more you love, the more awake you will be which will lead us to the fulfillment of this teaching. Amen.